الحمد لله وكفاه وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد Just picking up where we left off The next section This is point number 61 Of the benefits of remembrance So Remembrance gives to the one who practices invocation Such strength That he is able to do what he does not have the strength to do without it Again, remembrance gives the one who practices invocation such strength that he or she are able to do what they do not have the strength to do without it. So now what Imam Ibn Qayyim is talking about is um, physical strength as well. So, so far we've talked about the spiritual benefits of engaging in Allah's remembrance, um, but he's going to briefly touch upon the physical strength that a person can also get from this. He says, I myself witnessed the wondrous strength of the Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, his teacher, in his walk, his speech, and his limbs. Indeed, he used to write in one day what would take a scribe a week or more to finish. So, Ibn Qayyim is highlighting that uh, apart from all the spiritual benefits that a person gets through dhikr and remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, uh, recognize that it benefits you uh, on many levels. It benefits you uh, physically as well. And um, sometimes the argument is that, well, if you just sit in the masjid all day and worship Allah and do dhikr of Allah, then how are you going to take care of your body? Um, there's some truth to that when people go to extremes, but you know, most of us are never going to go to that extreme. Um, on the flip side, with a good reasonable dose of dhikr on a daily basis, you will feel a unique type of energy and strength physically arise within you as well. So he uses the example of his teacher, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, who... He used to, his walk, his speech, his limbs, these had all improved simply, not because he was you know, bench pressing at lifetime 500 pounds, right? Or because he was able to you know, walk six miles a, uh, an hour on a treadmill. It was because his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was very deep that Allah ta'ala even blessed him with physical strength, so much so that he would write in one day what his scribe, scribes, what do they do? They just write. They couldn't even do it in one week. Even, now, this is not. Uh, this is something. This is stuff that we've heard before. If you look at the lives of any of the scholars of the past, the amount they were able to contribute to Deen, it's it's mind-boggling, right? That there are scholars who have written volumes, you know, fifty volumes of books on certain topics of tafsir and hadith and things like that. Uh, you look at the comp the compilation of uh, Imam Ghazali rahimahullah and uh, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal and, uh, and uh, Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, all these people, right? I mean, how in the world could you possibly write that much? Or how could in the world could you possibly accomplish that much? How do you go without sleeping? You know, like th they would go sleep two, three hours and then get up and keep writing, you know, keep writing. So this physical strength would arise because of their deep connection with Allah. If you yourself have teachers or anima or mashayikh that you interact with closely, you'll see this in their lives as well. The amount of barakah that's in their time, you wonder, like, how in the world this person is, you know, juggling? He has like, you know, he has a full family. He's he or she are working full time, and they have like six different responsibilities. And uh, yet, despite that, you'd think that they couldn't accomplish anything. Yet, despite that, they're accomplishing more than anyone, right? And if you have this personal relationship, you've seen it. I've seen it in the in my own teacher's life. You wonder how is it possible that a person could have this much strength and energy to function as a human being, and they're able to do it is because their connection with Allah Taala is very deep. Right? The connection with Allah is very, their heart is very connected to Allah, that Allah Ta'ala inspires them with even a physical energy that you can't get otherwise. You know, the average person needs six or seven hours of sleep. Let's say seven to eight hours of sleep. Their anima and the mashayikh, who are connected to Allah Ta'ala, they'll survive over three hours of sleep. And they're not like, they don't have bipolar and they're not manic, right? They're fully functional. This isn't insomnia they're dealing with. 
This is actually just the fact that they're very refreshed and energized with very little sleep. Even their sleep, when they're sleeping, you know, more or less they're sleeping for the purpose of Allah Ta'ala, they're engaged in Allah's remembrance, that sleep is very refreshing for them. And look at us, right? We're, we're three, three cups of coffee every three hours, and, and we're still like falling asleep trying to get things done. How, how weak we are, right? We pull our back, young people, right? For little things, pulling our back, you know, my knees are hurting. I'm one of them too, by the way. Um, but... Um, um, but yeah, I mean, this is, so dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also contributes to physical strength too. And if, if, and you, we see it even today is the point. This isn't just historical. Okay, he says, uh, now he gives an example from hadith. Um, when Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha came to ask the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for a servant, and she complained to him about the difficulty she suffered in grinding flour, running errands, and doing other chores. So Fatima had the daughter of the Prophet who's you know the queen of Jannah, uh, who's our mother, who is uh, who really could have had whatever she wanted to have, uh, just because of her status in Deen and, and her status even in terms of her nobility and the family she came from. She's coming to the Prophet and she's complaining about what household you know responsibilities. Grinding flour, running errands, doing other chores, right? Sounds familiar. Um, so uh, what is the prophet? So she, so she told the prophet, she's complaining, and she says that I need some help around the house. <laughs> I need some help. So I need a servant. Uh, but you know that Ali and Fatima, when they were married, they, they, they didn't have a lot of wealth. In fact, you know, Fatima once came to the prophet, and, and she like put her face on the chest of the prophet, and she was just crying because she hadn't eaten in days. And the Prophet started crying back because he hadn't eaten in days, right? So this was the poverty that even the children of the Prophet had faced. Nothing that you and I, you know, alhamdulillah, have experienced. So they obviously didn't have like a lot of money where they could just spend it and, and you know, have somebody come and clean their house twice a week and, uh, and cook for them and clean for them. They didn't have that. So he, so what did he, the Prophet do to her? He said, he, he taught her and his son-in-law, Ali radiallahu anhu, to recite the formula of glorification 33 times, which was that of praise, subhanAllah, 33 times, that of edification, uh, sorry, um, glorification, subhanAllah, 33 times, praise 33 times, alhamdulillah, and that of edification 34 times, every night upon going to bed. So what did he tell Fatima anhu? She's coming saying, physically, this is getting to be too much for me. I have to grind flour, I have to cook, you know, cook, take care of the house, run errands, have all these other chores to do and responsibilities. Physically, this is getting too much for me. I'm feeling too drained. I need someone else that you can give me to help me through these, these tasks. The Prophet what does he do? Rather than say, yeah, great idea. Here's, you know, the, the following people are at your service. He says, take this instead. What does he give her? He gives her dhikr to do before she goes to sleep at night. What is it? The same dhikr that we do after every salah. He tells her and her son-in-law, his son-in-law, Ali radiallahu do this. Subhanallah 33 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, and Allahu Akbar 34 times every night upon going to bed. He said, Sallallahu this will be better for you both than a servant. This will be better for you both than a servant. This is narrated in Imam Bukhari's book, by the way. It is said that anyone who is constant in so Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, right, he's commenting on this. It is said that anyone who is constant in this practice, 33 times subhanAllah, 33 alhamdulillah, and 34 Allahu Akbar at nighttime before going to bed, anyone that is constant in this practice will find such strength in their body that they will have no need for a servant. They will have no need for a servant. Look at the workout routine that's being assigned, right? It's to do dhikr. 
right? It's very interesting because this dhikr also gives a certain physical strength and it adds a certain barakah that you can't get from anything else. You could say that, you know, you should walk a mile first thing in the morning. Yeah, and it has its health benefits, there's no doubt. Um, but And the Prophet knows, you know, all the different ways to get a person to have energy and have barakah in their time. And in this case, he appoints, based off of the situation, he says, do this and see what happens. Right? So, and, and obviously, her, her, she was content with this decision of the Prophet So, uh, this, uh, so, so, so dhikr is a cure for barakah. So next time your spouse complains about all the things in the house, say, hey, I have a great idea. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, uh, but look, look at what the Prophet is assigning. Right? So through dhikr, a person can get energy as well. A person can get himma. They can get courage. They can get, uh, they can, there's hope. Right? There's a hope that, look, now my, this is, this is, if the Prophet Sallallahu is telling his daughter this, then if I, if I do the same, then I too will have, uh, will, will be able to get more out of my time. Right? I too will have barakah in my time. Through dhikr, through some sort of dhikr, you know, it's, it's very interesting because many a times we say that I'm so busy that I don't have time to engage in dhikr, right? I don't have time to engage in dhikr. But that's actually very counterproductive, the way to think about it. If you're busy, that means you're usually a person who's complaining about being busy. It's not that they're actually that busy. There are people who are busier than them. It's that they're overwhelmed. It's they're overwhelmed. When you're overwhelmed, what you need is actually breaks. You need breaks where your mind is removed from all of those responsibilities and put on something for a short period of time. Right, this is why, uh, you know, I had, uh, we, we had attended, um, I had attended a seminar a couple of years ago, and it was about how to de-stress like doctors who have like the highest burnout rate in the country of any other profession. The highest, the, the, the suicide rate amongst physicians in this country is higher than any other profession, right? Why? It's because they're not, it's not that you're just busy, it's that you're overwhelmed. The mind is overwhelmed. So all of these different techniques that they taught, one of them was that every morning, despite how busy you are, wake up in the morning, first thing in the morning, spend 20 minutes and meditate. You know, you would think that, wow, I, I, I don't have time. My 24 hours are filled, and you want me to take 20 extra minutes and sit and do nothing? But this is what's being prescribed, right? And the people that are good at this, they're saying that, look, 20 minutes is the beginner's time where you sit and meditate first thing in the morning. You need to actually spend, once you, once you reach a certain state, you have to do about 60 minutes. That's when you'll get real, the maximal benefit, and sometimes even hours, first thing in the morning. Why? Because it resets you and it, it, and, it, and it allows you to focus so that the rest of your day is more productive, right? And then they say that before you go into a patient room, when you're feeling stressed, right? You go from patient room to patient room, and every time you go in, you're just like, they say, stop by the door, pause, take about 20 or 30 seconds, and just reset your mind and reset yourself, and then go into the room and see what happens. Now, you would be thinking, I don't have 20 or 30 seconds. I have three hours and I have to see this many patients. I don't have time to waste. But this is what's being prescribed now to, to people who are considered to be amongst the busiest in the country. Why? Because busyness is, is a, busyness is a term that really is a manifestation of feeling overwhelmed. So if this is what's being prescribed even in, the, uh, the secular, uh, in our secular uh, scope of life, uh, dhikr is, is the same as well. In fact, dhikr can replace this. So if a person is feeling overwhelmed, or they're feeling busy, or they're feeling tired, or they're feeling fatigued, or they're feeling discouraged, and they need to uplift themselves physically for that matter, then the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaces it, right? You could, if you sit in the morning for 20 minutes before going to work, and you engage in the dhikr of Allah, I promise you your day will go by better. You will be more focused, more attentive to your responsibilities, you will be uh, less stressed. I, don't I can repeat it if it doesn't make sense. 
you'll be less stressed, you will be uh, less overwhelmed, you'll be able to focus, you'll be more productive. That's just the bottom line, right? And so, uh, and that's the beauty. We talked about Salah the other day. The beauty of Salah is that it gives you a break five times a day so that you can refocus your mind on what's important. And what that does is it allows you to be more effective in if, and efficient in between the Salahs as well. Otherwise, you're just running this continuous course over the course of the day where you're just stressed and overwhelmed and you don't get anything done. You say you're busy, but really you're, you're, in, you're um, inefficient. So if you want to increase your efficiency, and part of inefficiency is fatigue and feeling overwhelmed, then increase in your dhikr and have set times in the day where you perform dhikr uh, of Allah Ta'ala. Okay, um, and so we see this from the hadith of the Prophet as well, right? So uh, dhikr, it's also a cure for laziness, it's a cure for fatigue, it's a cure for a lot of these things. I also heard uh, the Shaykh of Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, mention a saying that when the angels were commanded to bear the throne of Allah, they said, O Lord, our Lord, how can we bear your throne when upon it is your greatness and might? Meaning this is too much, too much for us to carry. How can we carry this, uh, you know, imagine the physical strength needed. So he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, said, uh, say, say the following. There is, no, there is neither power nor strength except in Allah. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. Upon pronouncing this, they carried the throne. Upon pronouncing this, they carried the throne. A simple statement of لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. That there is no power nor strength except in Allah. Right? This, when you make this statement and it comes from the heart, what you're basically saying is that, look, my strength is going to come from Allah. Right? If, if it's going to come from anywhere, it's going to come from Allah. So if I take a moment and think about strength coming from Allah, and I make this statement, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله, at the right time, with the right intention, then there's nothing that can overcome me. There's nothing that can overwhelm me. Um, then he continues, these words, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله, there is neither strength nor power except in Allah. They have the striking effect of helping one to accomplish difficult work, bear fatigue, visit kings, and, and endure fear or dreadful experience. Right? He's saying, these words, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله, they have the striking effect of helping one to accomplish difficult work, bear fatigue, visit kings, and endure fear of a dreadful experience. Meaning that, uh, as we talked about in the last session, inevitably you're going to be in circumstances that are difficult for you, right? That's just the nature of life. Sometimes they're hardships. Sometimes they're not hardships, but they're uncomfortable experiences. So for instance, a job interview, like that's a stressful time, right? You're thinking about it days before, you know, the day, the morning, you can't sleep the night before, the morning of, your, your palms are sweaty, you walk into the building and you're just like, you know, you're, you're very stressed, right? Um, so he's saying, these words, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله, they had the striking effect of helping one to accomplish these difficult tasks. If you're in that situation and you pause for a moment and you think, you know what, ultimately Allah's in control. Whether I get this gig or not, it's up to Allah. You know, if I'm going to do well today, it's going to be because of Allah. You know, if, I've, if there's any success that's going to come from this, it's because of Allah. La hawla. And then you say, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Really, there's no power, there's no might in this universe except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine how much that would... Um, how that would reframe your whole thinking for the rest of that interview or whatever whatever other experience you may have. So um, uh, it's important to keep this in mind. Um, 
So thus far, so so the first thing that he mentioned is the Prophet ﷺ teaching uh, Fatima radiallahu anha, right? The, what to recite at night and how this will actually make you productive, increase, decrease fatigue, etc. And then here he's talking, he's, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah is mentioning la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah and what power this has had in the past and what it has today as well. These are, and there's many other things in hadith as well that uh, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. So you can look these up. Uh, but these are forms of, uh, of verbal adhkar that have power. Uh, but like anything verbal in deen, it's lip service unless it comes from the heart. Right? Real dhikr or remembrance of Allah is not that you just utter it from your tongue. It's that this, that, that whatever you're uttering uh, is simply a manifestation of what lies on the inside. Your outward, your outward expression is a manifestation of what's in your heart. So you have to believe that there's no power or might except Allah. And then when you make this statement before some difficult task or circumstance, see what doors open up for you and see what changes occur. So to summarize this section then is that uh, remembrance gives to the one who practices invocation such strength that he or she are able to do what they do not have the strength to do without it. Okay, moving on. The next section, number 64. The dwellings in heaven are built by remembrance. The dwellings in Jannah, they're built by remembrance. When the invoker seizes, seizes his invocation, they stop, stops calling on Allah, the angels seize their building of, of, of the dwellings of Jannah. Again, when the invoker seizes his invocation, the angels seize their building. When he continues, they continue. So for as long as you call on Allah and you engage in Allah's remembrance, all, all what's happening is that the angels are active on the other end, building your home in Jannah for you. And when you take a moment and take a breath, or take a break from invoking Allah, calling upon Allah, remembering Allah, the angels also take a break as well. In his book, um, Ibn Ad-Dunya mentions uh, that it said, it has been related to me that the dwellings of heaven are built through remembrance. When the remembrance, when the dhikr of Allah, when the, when the remembrance ceases, the building ceases. And when the angels are asked, like, why did you stop? They say, until our wages come. The angels say, until our wages come. Meaning the currency of Jannah is the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala. So for as long as uh, you are remembering Allah Ta'ala in this world, the angels are active on the other end. Because you are sending this currency, right? The dhikr of Allah is a currency and the angels are receiving it. They want their wages. So when you take a break from invoking Allah, let's say you take a break for a year, that's a year's worth of time that the angels are taking a break from building your home in Jannah. Um, uh, he also mentions a hadith on the authority of Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, a tower is built in heaven for whoever says, quote, uh, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim. Glory be to Allah and praise, glory to Allah Almighty. Seven times. So if you say Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim, seven times, a tower is built in Jannah for you. Think about it, right? How many years does it take to build a building downtown? It takes four, five years of planning. You have to get approval from the city. You have to, you're looking for some tax incentives. Eventually, the planning commission says, okay, now you can move forward with this process. And then it takes, uh, uh, th then the construction, then groundbreaking occurs, right, after four or five years. After groundbreaking occurs, then it takes, you know, two or three years of construction. Then after construction, then an inspection. Then eventually, maybe, you know, six or seven years down the road, you get one skyscraper downtown, right? Look into it. This is how long it takes. 
And it takes about 15 seconds for us to build a skyscraper for ourselves in Jannah. How? By saying Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim seven times. You could do it now. You could do it, you know, and you have towers waiting for you in Jannah. Um, so we build our Jannah through the dhikr of Allah. And this is direct proof of that. Um, as just as its dwellings are built by dhikr, so are its gardens planted by dhikr. As we have already mentioned in an earlier hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ said that Ibrahim ﷺ, Khalilullah, the friend of Allah, said, Tell your people that the soil of Jannah is fragrant, that its water is sweet, that it is green with vegetation, and that its trees are planted by dhikr. Glory be to Allah and praise be to God. There is no deity but Allah and Allah is most great. Meaning, by the statement which comes from the heart but is uttered via the tongue, La ya subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, the trees of Jannah are planted. So subhanallah, subhanallah, plants, uh, towers in Jannah for you. And la, uh, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, it's planting trees for your gardens in Jannah. So it's an active process. You know, sometimes you could think, okay, there's there's a lot of benefit, there's there's qurb, you know, proximity to Allah, there's increased energy in deen, passion, etc. But human beings, we have this desire to, to want something that we can see as tangible as well. And it is there, it's Jannah. And our buildings, our homes in Jannah are being built every time we remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, it comes in um, a couple of hadith that, um, it comes in a couple of hadith. that the people of Jannah, they, they are, there's only one regret that a person in Jannah can have. There's only one regret that a person in Jannah will have. Once you're in Jannah, you would think like, that's it, I'm done, I'm here, I'm happy, I can't want anything more. And in fact, you know, Jannah is a place where once khalidina fiha abadan, you're existing there forever, there's no fear upon you, there's nothing. But there's one thing in hadith that comes that a person in Jannah who's already achieved this will regret. And that is those moments that that person spent in this dunya heedless and not remembering Allah. Why? Because they'll see if they had remember Allah, remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the higher levels of Jannah that they could have gotten. That'll be the one regret of the people of Jannah, is that I didn't remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enough. And another hadith about the Day of Judgment comes the same. The, only, the one regret that people will have is that I wish I could go back and remember Allah ta'ala more. You know, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Like, you're in Jannah, like, there's still the possibility of one regret. And what is that one regret? It's that I couldn't remember, I, did, I didn't spend this time in this world remembering Allah Ta'ala more. It's not, man, I should have gotten, uh, instead of, you know, I should have done a, a PhD instead of uh, my master's. That's not the regret, you know? It's not, you know, I wish, uh, I, wish I, drove a, uh, uh, I wish I drove a Beamer instead of a Chevy. That's not the regret. In Jannah, you'll get all those things. Who cares? Right? You don't need to need a degree to, to get all these. You know, we don't need it. But you will have some remorse that, man, I wish that time that I had spent in this world, I had remembered Allah Ta'ala more. You know, it's almost like this. You know, when, when sometimes when you're given something that's good and you don't deserve it, you have a little bit of regret. Man, you know, I really should have given this person more attention. Let's say someone gives you a gift. You kind of help them out a little bit, but you should have helped them out all the way. And they just thank you and they appreciate you. And you're like... Honestly, I didn't really do much. I, I, I should have done more. You have a little bit of regret in your heart, right? For the believers as well, when we're in Jannah, you know, the one regret is that you know Allah is so merciful that He gave me such a beautiful, eventual dwelling. 
I wish I had actually just taken him more seriously in this dunya and given him the attention that he deserved. It just, it just would have made so much more sense. Right? Okay. Um, finally, uh, Ibn Abi Dunya mentions a hadith uh, from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anhuma, that the Messenger of Allah said, Plant the trees of Jannah in abundance. Plant the trees of Jannah in abundance. People said, Messenger of Allah what does it mean planting trees in heaven? So he said, the words, MashaAllah wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. He said, whatever Allah wills, there is no strength nor power except in Allah. So that statement plants trees in Jannah. So again, there's example after example after example of this. The more we do this, the more that there are people working on the other end, building our, our home for us. You know, if, if you've um, ever been involved in building a home for yourself in this world or construction in general, one of the things that really frustrates you is when these companies that are building your house take a break. Right? And you're like, come on, you, gave, you said that the closing is going to be on, you know, whatever, May 31st. You know, and now they're like, oh, but we, you know, we, we got involved in this other project, so we need to go take that care of that for a little bit. It's, it's one of the most frustrating things, anyone that's ever had an experience like this. And then you're like, you're left homeless, or you're, you know, for a period of time, or you're waiting. It's a very frustrating process. Uh, this, this, this happens as well in the hereafter, or with regards to our Jannah as well. So just as it's frustrating for us in this world when we have that experience, we should think that, wow, I mean, why am I putting the angels on hold over there? This is completely in my hands. And over here, I don't have control. They, the construction company says we're taking a break, we're taking a break. I, what am I going to do? You know, take them to court, if anything. There, it's fully in our hands. The angels are taking a break. They're only taking a break because we're not sending them the payment that's due. Okay, the last point we'll mention. Uh, the next point. Remembrance, dhikr, is a barrier between the servant and jahannam. Remembrance is a barrier between the servant and jahannam, hell. Certain acts are his route to hell, and remembrance, dhikr, will bar that route. If remembrance is continuous and complete, the barrier will be fortified and, and impenetrable. If not, it will be to measure. So what he's saying very simply is that uh, not only the dhikr um, provide for you in Jannah, and it uh, plants trees in Jannah, builds homes for you, towers, etc. in Jannah, but it also creates this, this, uh, this fort for you between yourself and Jahannam as well. So it blocks the, the road to Jahannam. So just another reason, another incentive to, um, to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remember Him abundantly. So we'll stop here inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us uh, all the tawfiq to, uh, to remember Him abundantly. May He subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us uh, to recite uh, the athkar that we just mentioned on a daily basis uh, so that we can um, increase our strength in this world and build for ourselves homes in Jannah. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from any evils in this world and in the hereafter. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.